Welcome to Understand Murdoch, a podcast from The Post and Courier, South Carolina's largest newspaper. Our award-winning reporters have spent more than a year digging into the Murdoch saga to bring you the latest news and in-depth analysis as we covered the story of drugs, deceit, and death in South Carolina's rural low country. And now we're here to provide quick daily updates on Alec Murdoch's highly anticipated double murder trial in Colleton County. Hi there. Welcome to Understand Murdoch. I am Nathan Stevens, your host. I'm here with Jocelyn Greshik, who's part of our team of reporters covering the trial in Walterboro. Jocelyn, we're done with the second week. Can you walk us through what happened today? Sure. This morning was a continuation of some of the testimony about Alec's alleged financial crimes. And then the jurors were brought back in just before lunch, and they heard from a few more law enforcement witnesses, including a firearms examiner. Yesterday, we didn't talk much about who was testifying about this financial evidence. Can you give us an overview? Sure. So state prosecutors are calling up people who can all speak to Alec's financial situation at the time of the murders. Yesterday, we heard from the former chief financial officer of his law firm, who testified she helped uncover how Alec had allegedly funneled fees that were supposed to go to the law firm directly into his personal bank account. And when Alec was confronted about it the day of the murders, he tried to cover it up. Prosecutors contend killing his wife and son was a way to buy him some more time to do that. Today, we heard from the current president of Palmetto State Bank, which is a family-run bank in Hampton, South Carolina, where Alec did much of his personal banking, and his law firm also banked there. The current president, a guy named Jan Malinowski, testified Alec was some $3.5 million in debt at the time of the murders. But records show the bank, which had a pretty cozy relationship with Alec, continued to loan him money anyway, including to help cover up those missing fees with his law firm. Prosecutors also contend Alec had been stealing from his legal client's settlements for about a decade before the murders. Lead prosecutor Creighton Waters asked Jan Malinowski if, had the bank known Alec was stealing, it would have continued loaning him money. And Malinowski said, absolutely not. This is part of prosecutors' effort to highlight how much was at stake for Ellick if his alleged financial crimes were exposed. And Judge Newman still hasn't decided whether jurors will even hear this testimony. No. He's expected to continue the separate hearing on the financial evidence Monday when he'll hopefully make his final ruling. Okay. You mentioned jurors were brought in at some point and got to hear from law enforcement witnesses. Can you break down their testimony? Sure. So jurors arrived at the courthouse at 1130 this morning, and they started by hearing from Agent Darnell, who's a fingerprint examiner with the state law enforcement division. And he analyzed a bunch of evidence collected from the crime scene, including Paul's cell phone, as well as the 12-gauge shotgun Alec was holding when sheriff's deputies first arrived at Moselle the night of the murders. And did he find any fingerprints? No, Agent Darnell testified he didn't find any prints of value on any of the items he examined. But if he examined Paul's phone and a gun Alec was holding, wouldn't he have expected to find prints? So defense attorneys asked him about this. Fingerprint evidence is quite fragile and something like water can destroy them. And we know it was raining the night of the murders. 
And even if you touch something, Agent Darnell said your fingerprint doesn't always get left behind. Okay, so what about the firearms examiner then? Yeah, so jurors also heard from Paul Greer, and he's a firearms examiner with SLED. And he analyzed and tested a number of ammunition and weapons found at the crime scene and elsewhere at Moselle. And he prepared a report based on his findings. Can you break it down for us? Sure. So the big takeaway is that investigators don't think they have either murder weapon. And we know there are two, since evidence shows Paul was killed with a 12-gauge shotgun and Maggie died from a 300 blackout rifle. Investigators did recover a 300 blackout rifle and several 12-gauge shotguns from Moselle, including the shotgun Alec was holding that night, but none of them could be conclusively linked to the murders. How do they know that? So Greer is an expert in firearms identification, which is a process that matches bullets and their cartridge casings to the weapons that fire them. Basically, when a gun fires a bullet, it leaves behind a series of dents and scratches that are unique to the casing it ejects. I like to think of it as the gun's mechanical DNA, similar to how our own fingers can leave behind a unique print. Okay. But you're saying the guns they found at Moselle didn't match any of those ejected casings? Sort of. So Greer test-fired both the rifle and the shotgun back in his lab, and he compared those ejected casings to ones found at the crime scene near Maggie and Paul's bodies. And results from both were inconclusive, meaning the rifle and shotgun could have been the murder weapons, but the murder weapons could have also been an identical gun. Mm, Okay, that seems kind of hazy. It is, but Greer's report did yield something a bit more concrete. He compared all the ejected casings collected from the crime scene and around Moselle. Investigators found several spent 300 blackout rifle rounds near Maggie's body. Greer found that those casings matched ones recovered elsewhere on the property, including at the shooting range and near a stoop near the main house. So what does that mean? Well, prosecutors can reasonably conclude, based on Greer's report, that the weapon that killed Maggie had been used at Moselle before, meaning it was known to the family. And we know from previous witness testimony that the Murdochs actually owned two identical 300 blackout rifles in spring of 2021. One of these is the rifle that investigators recovered from the main house and which Greer's test showed was similar to the weapon that actually killed Maggie. Okay, so investigators have one of the 300 blackout rifles. What about the other one? Well, they haven't been able to find it. So jurors have been sent home for the weekend. Tell us what we can expect when court resumes Monday. So Judge Newman asked jurors to come back at 11.30 Monday morning, but the defense and prosecution teams will return at 9.30 to keep questioning witnesses relating to Alec's alleged financial crimes. Jocelyn, thank you so much. Uh, Have a good weekend and we'll see you on Monday. Thanks. You too. That's all we have for now. For more in-depth coverage of this trial, as well as the latest news on the Murdoch story at large, stay tuned to postandcourier.com slash Murdoch. You can find us on Twitter at Post and Courier. 
We would love if you could send questions, feedback, and tips to our Murdoch email address. That's Murdoch at postandcourier.com. And please also take a minute to leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to keep up to date on the trial, subscribe to Murdoch News, a premium newsletter from the Post and Courier, bringing you exclusive first-hand insight from local South Carolina reporters who have covered this saga from the beginning. Subscribe at postandcourier.com slash Murdoch News, and we'll bring you exclusive reporting on the civil and criminal cases of Alec Murdoch. We'll see you next time.